0: You're listening to the So What Podcast.
1: I believe Lewis' statement in Mere Christianity is, the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. That idea is uh, its a beautiful thought. It's an affirming one, that we don't have to leave our life behind in the messiness of our creaturely existence to attain some sort of spiritual plateau that does not affect the mundane, the regular. Our life with God, in God, is not uh, discontinuous with our life before we met Christ. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the So What Podcast, where we discuss theological and philosophical issues to ask that obvious question, so what? I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs and I'm joined by our cast of contributors, Dave Kakish, Matt O'Reilly, and Brad Mills. On this first of a two-part episode, we are happy to be joined in studio with Dr. Travis Buchanan to discuss Christ's Ascension. Dr. Buchanan is a close friend to the SOAT podcast crew. He received his PhD from the University of St. Andrews, where he studied the intersection of theology and literature, specifically in the works of C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. He currently serves as an assistant professor for theological studies at Colorado Christian University. Before we head over to our discussion, again, we'd just like to thank you for listening to the So What Podcast and for sharing it with your friends. If you enjoy the show, please help our podcast grow by rating and reviewing it in iTunes. You can also find out more information about the show and its contributors at sowhatpodcast.com. Questions about this or any future episodes can be submitted by emailing hello at sowhatpodcast.com. And of course, you can keep up with the latest news by following us on Twitter at sowhat underscore podcast. Let's head over to our interview. Well, gentlemen, today we are talking about the next line in the Apostles' Creed. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we have a very special guest with us in studio today, the one and only Dr. Travis Buchanan. Hello. So, Dr. Buchanan, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, My name is Travis Buchanan. I moved to Mobile in September 2015. I'm Assistant Professor for Theological Studies at Colorado Christian University, um, whose main campus is in Lakewood, Colorado, but I live in Mobile, Alabama, so that means I do my- Long uh, commutes? Professoring online uh, in the brave new virtual world that we are all living in. My PhD is from the University of St. Andrews. I did a Master of Letters and PhD there in an institute called the Institute for Theology, Imagination, and the Arts. It looks at the intersection of theology with uh, culture and human making like poetry or literature or song or uh, painting or what have you. And uh, my particular project focused on the intersection of theology and literature, particularly the work of Lewis and Tolkien, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. R. Tolkien and their theories of story and their practice of myth, um, particularly Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and Lewis's novel Till We Have Faces and I connected those with a broader sacramental understanding of reality and particularly story and and myth making, and sought to argue that for Lewis and tolkien's story was a sacrament in this broader understanding of something which uh incarnated truth, something which was a piece of creaturely reality or experience that God could. Assume and used to dis- disclose himself to make himself known in whatever diluted form um, that that might take and uh,
2: Diluted not diluted
1: du- d- right. not diluting. <laughs> yes uh, Though many though many are diluted the parables that's are, right are concealing right. as much as they're <laughs> revealing so So what did you, you discover may be diluted in your research <clears throat> well lots of things i actually brought my thesis and my plan was just to begin reading it until be fine someone stopped me That's and right. uh, then you could decide if i learned anything or not but um, well let's see i i learned that uh, some of the things i think i had intuited were confirmed um and that most people just know from human experience like the story is an incredibly powerful part of our experience mm-hmm. it's ubiquitous in culture and history uh it's something we use to make meaning of our lives and uh and the apostles creed uh formulizes a story uh and the, and the centerpiece of of our faith of christianity is is the story of a dying and rising god mm-hmm. um that happened to our history uh, That's that really actually occurred
0: i don't think anybody's said anything like that on the show so far to see the apostles creed as a narrative
1: yeah i mean it's it's making articles of faith out of the aspects of this story Mm -hmm. um and there's a definite uh, uh there's a definite movement to the incarnation and crucifixion resurrection ascension you know the the journey from heaven down and then back up and uh and the points along the way and that movement is I'm sure we'll talk about Philippians two at some point. Um and uh probably not. Well, and <laughs> that hymn. But uh <laughs> so you're you're to the point now in your uh, in your journey through the creed where you're looking at the um the latter parts of the movement. That's you know? right. Yep. So yeah, so uh, just understanding some of the uh or growing renewing my appreciation, deepening my appreciation for how Um, the story of the incarnation the story of Christianity is something that gets refracted out through the imagination of cultures and authors and myth makers throughout history both before Christ and after and when parts of that are caught up in in narrative that it's moving and uh can powerfully influence and shape and redirect our lives in in ways that we might be not completely conscious of at the time mm-hmm.
0: as you mentioned, thanks we're... for asking
1: <laughs> well, that's the first person in months to ask me really? anything yeah about about it so it's how not many, something I've thought about how that many times recently uh
0: has your wife heard you explain that
1: <clears throat> yeah, we too many yeah. um.
0: And your children are able she, to recite she the ac- abstract?
1: asking years ago. No. <laughs> no, only three
2: three people have read it, and um, none of them guessing, are related to me. She but. probably says, when people ask, so, what's your husband? Oh, it's something about C.S. Lewis. Yeah. My wife is always a, oh, something <laughs> about the body.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, no, you, she's, she's more intelligent than I am, but she also knows that... Um, for that reason, she probably doesn't need to get my opinion about things. She can f- form her own. Or, right. Uh,
0: Reading your thesis would be below her. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> <it>. <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, where we are at in the Apostles' Creed is on our way up, I think, is the language you used. The ascension, obviously. Uh, and so we brought you in here because you are indeed the world's foremost expert on the ascension. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about it?
1: <laughs> wow, I probably know the, the least at the table about it, but um you can edit out all of my comments and replace them with Matt's and Dave's <laughs> later. Anyway, so it's not Well, let's let's I talk about, the, fear about the, it.
0: the the at the at a basic level. Yeah. Doesn't the ascension mean that the incarnation's not over so did jesus right leave his flesh on earth and then yeah. ascend spiritually or yeah if that's not the case what are the ramifications of that
1: well i'll just start talking about this and then please someone jump in interject or, yeah what have you but no i think that's silly to think that uh, it, jesus's flesh has obviously been changed he has a resurrected body and so the flesh that he received through mary and through the incarnation um is different than the flesh he now assumes in first corinthians fifteen that's a that's a first fruits for every christian mm. um in fact every person is going to receive a resurrected body that's ever lived so there's with a lot of things like with the new covenant and the old covenant or the the resurrected body and the the body of flesh that we all know from our experience there's some continuity and discontinuity and mm-hmm. so um th- so the flesh that jesus bears in heaven is not the same as the one he had um in a sense that none of our bodies in the next life will be the same as the bodies we had here but um it is a his incarnation doesn't end with with the ascension and he mm-hmm. doesn't become some pre-incarnate you know eternal being in in the sense that he was beforehand and so though the the imagery used the right hand of the father the celestial throne room is imagery i don't think that's that's not a literal picture of what heaven is i don't think we have access to that or you know Mm -hmm. would it even make sense to us if um if that could be communicated what that reality is like but that that's an image for us to think about but nonetheless there's a jesus is located there Mm -hmm. he's not on earth in the sense that he was during his ministry which was a troubling thing for his disciples because uh, he's trying to prepare them, John 14 through 17, in what's called the Upper Room Discourse in John's Gospel. He's trying to prepare them for this this fact about the Messiah's ministry that the Jews had missed, which was that the Son of Man was to suffer and die. Um, that was a, a revelation that was unacceptable to many of the the Jews at the time that's not the messiah they wanted um they didn't want the suffering servant they wanted right. the reigning davidic king and it was especially troubling if you'd left your fishing business behind or something and mm-hmm. had decided that um you were going all in with Jesus and and this is what you were going to do and then all of a sudden he was going to die but then there was a, a the disciples needed to be comforted not just because he was going to die because that wasn't the the full story he was going to be raised again well that's wonderful you'll be with us we'll know that i'm going to go to heaven and leave earth and jesus tells tries to convince them or is telling them that this is actually good this is good for you and i'm not going to leave you as orphans and so the ascension sets up uh, which i don't know if you plan to discuss this today or not the the descending of the holy spirit yeah that's right yeah um the comforter he calls him in that yeah exactly Mm -hmm. yeah the the paraclete the Mm -hmm. comforter the counselor so that tells us something, I think, about how Jesus is present in heaven versus how he wishes to be present present on earth in the sense of the incarnation is such a mystery and there's that line from, uh, I don't know if it's a hymn or if it's one of John Donne's poems of uh, the immensity of God contracted to a span, um, if that's George Herbert mm-hmm. or, or who said that, but just the idea that the infinite, omnipresent God could be present in the womb of a virgin, or any womb, uh, is, you know.
0: Mind-bending? It is, <laughs> it you,
2: is. Since you brought it back around to the incarnation, um, maybe I could, I, I kinda wanna press in on something you said a little bit, and maybe push back or ask for clarification. Yeah. Um, so the, the suggestion that Jesus' flesh, or body, is different, so we'll affirm some discontinuity but I would, I would want to say the very suggestion that the incarnation is not over, which I think that's a central, I agree, it's a central um, principle that derives from the doctrine of the ascension. The incarnation is not over. Jesus still has a human body, is a human body. And I would want to say that the same body that was born of a virgin, that grew in wisdom and stature and maturity, that lived and breathed, died on the cross, uh, was broken for us, bloodshed, that same body was raised on the third day and that same body ascended into heaven. That's not to discount the discontinuity because obviously the the flesh has taken on different properties, right? Mm-hmm. John's gospel locked doors aren't as much of a
3: problem as they would be for <laughs> us.
2: Um, but I, but and, I think...
3: And Luke, he changes his appearance. They didn't recognize him.
2: Yeah, so 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 he's he's able to disguise himself to some degree, mm-hmm, yeah. but he's still there's as, continuit- well, as well as eat yeah and eat and so there's an emphasis on sort of the tangible nature of the body that has been raised and ascended. Um, locked doors don't get in the way. Apparently, the physics of the new creation apply differently than they do in right. the creation, the old creation. And so what uh, I guess, I I make that point to clarify that Jesus's flesh has changed, but we want to emphasize that it is physical, tangible, and it's not that the body that was crucified was destroyed and ceased to exist, and he took on a new body. That's the Jehovah's Witness perspective. That same body was rejuvenated mm-hmm. it didn't and it didn't just come uh, one one helpful thing is to say it didn't come back from the dead but as one person's put it he went through death and out the other side yeah so I don't know if you want to sort of. yeah
1: no I I absolutely agree with what you're saying Um, and I would just like the podcast to state that I am NOT a Jehovah's Witness um, <laughs> but yeah I was emphasizing some of the discontinuity right. um, But there's both. There's continuity with our physical life in terms of Jesus' eating. I don't know if he has to do that to sustain the resurrection body. Or just out of pleasure and enjoying the Right, the Mm -hmm. the wedding feast of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. I I assume um,
3: some of these aspects of our creaturely existence. Although if we affirm Christophanes in the Old Testament, and if that was a pre-incarnate Christ with Abraham at the tree of memoir, he ate there too. Yeah, so I'm not sure that's necessarily a proof for his humanity, but he has the same scars. It's proof enough for Thomas. Right, yeah, I was
1: going to mention the scars. So, um, yeah, I don't know if he has to carry those as as, as proofs per se, but there's some continuity with this existence, mm-hmm. and there's also something different in First Corinthians 15 about this new body. It's not going to be subject to the curse of uh, Adam's flesh to disease, decay.
2: Yeah. Um, I think it, Those it's striking that, that are not a, good about yeah. our present experience in the world. It's striking, to say the least, that the second person of the Trinity is eternally committed to embodied life, yeah, human embodiment, yeah, right. Um, and so, so I sometimes the first time that I've sort of put it this way in my own thinking, and then began saying it in the pulpit, is that the reality because typically we are we're very dualistic in the way we think about heaven and earth. Earth is the physical world, heaven is the spiritual world. A lot of times we think um, you know death is casting off the body to get to some more pure spiritual right. existence kind of a neo-gnostic thing that's very prevalent in American folk religion. Very not very not not Christian, right? Christianity says right now in heaven there is a human body, right? Right now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Enthroned in the heavenlies, in spirit world, whatever you know, if you want to call it that, there is a human body, and those two worlds in Jesus overlap and interlock. So the incarnation means that the the wor- you know, s- the spiritual reality of heaven, if we want to call it that, whatever that means, um, and our sort of physical reality that we live in, are not opposites. Mm-hmm. They are not, you know, on different ends of the spectrum that they are designed by God to overlap and interlock. Um, And and they are made for each other that the physical world was made for um, as a vehicle of God's self-revelation as you sort of, when you're talking about Lewis and all. That's I think one of the aspects where we need stories to energize our imagination to be able to conceive of a cosmology where the, the the physical creation was designed by God as a means of his self disclosure. Yeah. You know, to kind of tie back into your area, I think, is is helpful there. You know, so the incarnation, while it is mysterious, is not as surprising if we've read Genesis one, that human beings were made in the image of God, that God designed human bodies to in some way convey and reveal and embody his divine character attributes to some degree. Now, there's always a distinction. If we use the adjective
3: glorified yet, he has received his glorified Glorified body Body. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that he possesses now that which we will possess in the future. He is the firstborn among many brothers. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first fruits. Uh, The sign that there's a harvest coming behind him uh, of bodily resurrection and glorified bodies. Uh, Travis, I wanna wanna elaborate or ask you about something. Uh, you talked about He's seated at the right hand, and yeah. you talked about that maybe symbolic. What does that even mean? Yeah. Um,
1: does God have hands? Yeah. Good question. So let's let me just give a brief parentheses because uh, I really want to affirm what Matt was saying about this, the incarnation, and then the ascension as a continuation of the endorsement of physical creaturely reality as good. Very good. yeah, is very good. I. Yeah, I think that's important to to emphasize and it's a you know it's it's validating its genesis mm-hmm. 1 and there's apparently nothing contradictory about the human body that would conflict with it being assumed by divine the divine nature. nature and uh and there's so rich territory to explore down that road which we won't do here but with respect to Divis- divinization and theosis and this idea that we were made to be partakers of the divine nature and that that's not a contradiction. Um, and swimming against the more ascetic hatred of the body that sometimes uh, associated with uh, Christianity and presence in, in some world religions and was part of you know platonism um contributed to this that the body is just the prison yeah, of I've... the soul the prison house of the soul and that christianity does not uh, for all of what it picks up of neoplatonism in augustine and and moving forward through the middle ages it it brings a strong correction to lots of pagan philosophy and and thought and uh i, I think of something cs lewis writes in mere christianity um he says there is no good trying to be more spiritual than God. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. That is why he uses material things like bread and wine to put the new life into us. We may think this rather crude and unspiritual. God does not. He invented eating.
2: He likes matter. He invented it. Yeah. And the incarnation is the and the ascension as a continuing is the exclamation point on that. Yeah. Mm.
1: I agree, yeah, and so it's nice that it's not just a temporary endorsement, and that then Jesus leaves the physical behind when he ascends to heaven, but he takes human nature with us, and that's this gets you know earlier today we were we were talking not about this specifically, but being seated at the right hand of the so this is we can talk about this now, but there's a there's a sense in which that's our destiny as Christians, and we're even given that picture in the New Testament in terms of our uh, ethical conformity to Christ as being you know picturing our lives hid with Christ in heaven and we're that's our place that's our that's our destiny and um that should affect how then we we live in the meantime
3: yeah so to affirm what you said and then to rephrase my question I think it was Lewis and maybe you can correct me on this uh that said that God made man in his own image and man marred that image so God made himself and man's image to restore his image in them it's kind of, it kind of sounds like a riddle yeah, but I love it because yep. it articulates mm-hmm. the gospel in a good way from creation to consummation all the way through in like what 12 words he yeah. swiped it from
2: Athanasius who said God became human to uh, make human beings into gods yeah oh nice that's a short way of that saying. yeah
1: no it is a, it's something that's been Lewis gets a lot of the things that become memorable in his, his writing he's picking up from the great tradition in various places uh, but I, I believe his statement in mere Christianity is the son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God yeah that's good Um But yeah, that idea is, uh, um, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thought. It's Mm. an affirming one, um, that we don't have to leave our life behind in the messiness of our creaturely existence to attain some sort of spiritual plateau that, uh, does not affect the mundane, the regular, um, you know, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, that idea that, um, our, our life with God in God is not, uh, completely discontinuous with
0: our, our life before we met Christ. So what? Why does it matter that the ascension of Christ occurred? Well, it means that Christ's incarnation is not over. He still exists today, physically, with the same body that was raised from the dead. In fact, that Christ physically ascended communicates to creation that God values the physical existence which he created and called very good. It was likewise a good thing that Christ ascended to leave his disciples in order that they would be indwelled by the Holy Spirit to perform God's mission and work as Christ's figurative body on earth. Join us next time as we continue on in the conversation with Dr. Buchanan.